0: To make me a servant, make me like you. Hello and welcome to Counsel from Above. I am your host, Nathan Honeycutt, licensed professional counselor, minister of the Churches of Christ, getting the opportunity to talk with you today about some really important questions related to our relationships and connections that we have with other people you know relationships come in many shapes and sizes and so many times we have kinda questions about how do I best develop this relationship or how do I best utilize it and so our three questions today are related to three different uh, relationships Uh, the first one is related to our relationship as a couple so this comes from Lyle from Tennessee Uh, he says where or how does one find support for living with a spouse that suffers from mental anxiety depression while continuing to try and encourage the spouse and not get caught up in the spiral themselves. Oh, this is a wonderful question because the reality is is that for uh, many of us in our vows we, we said that we would stick with a person through sickness and through health. And oftentimes in our mind uh, this is directly related to physical health, and we're like, yeah, I'll go to the hospital, or uh, yeah, I would visit them, and you know, things of that nature, and and all those types of things. But many times, sickness and health also means uh, mental, emotional sickness, uh, uh, being able to deal with things that are going on in our world. And so, this question's a, a wonderful question. Uh, here's here's kind of first things first. So, where's the anxiety and depression for your spouse coming from? This is a very important question because there's kind of two different responses and answers depending on which one it is. When I say chemical, I mean like a uh, biological aspect of their life. Uh, There is some sort of maybe chemical imbalance or some sort of a genetic component that doesn't allow the brain uh, to operate in a fashion that allows it to communicate equally to, to itself. If it's a chemical thing, then that means that there's really nothing we can do um, that changes that. We, we um, have different things like medications and things like that that change the brain chemistry to hope to counter what's naturally there. Uh, but the reality is, is, is one form of anxiety and depression comes through a uh, genetic component or a chemical component. The other one's environment so something happened to me uh, i was in a, a tragedy i was in a trauma there was some sort of an injury there was some sort of an event or something that happened in my world Um, that brought about these feelings of anxiety or depression. And that's kind of more of an environmental base. I I lose my job, someone dies, I'm in a car accident, on and on and on. The list goes of traumatic events that can take place uh, within our world that then bring about these emotions and feelings of anxiety and depression, kind of like we talked the other day about uh, the fact that anxiety is an overreaching of our defense mechanisms. And so when it's that overreaching of our defense mechanisms, uh, it was an environmental cause that kind of brought that about for some. Other people, it's just a genetic component uh, that they're having to deal with uh, within themselves. So first of, first thing is you gotta kind of figure out which one's going on when it comes to your spouse, which which item is happening. Is it a chemical thing or is it an environmental thing? W- once you figure that out, then, then we kind of follow uh, a recipe for treatment. So let's say it's chemical, for instance. Uh, it's a chemical component that is taking place. The The brain is not uh, communicating correctly. The wiring is, is having some issues uh, communicating correctly. So there's two kind of main things uh, that you look at and to use. One of them is, is coping skills. So because it's a chemical environment and chemical things that are going on, you, you can't necessarily alter that. It's just like always going to be there. Now, those genetic components are, are always going to be part of, of your life, of your world, uh, of the things that goes on, much like if it was an external uh, type of an issue, for instance, a deformed hand or a deformed leg or something of that nature. Uh, you've got to learn just to adapt to it. You've got to learn just to overcome and make the most of what you do have um, instead of only focusing on what you don't. And so, when it comes to that side, first things you want to start developing those coping skills. How do I manage this? Maybe there's um, certain things that we want to help our spouse begin to address um, by a, a coping mechanism, uh, coping skills, utilizing different skills to manage that. The other one is the possibility of medications. Uh, when it comes to medications, um, they are intended to start changing the brain chemistry. Uh, to be a more uh, functioning aspect. And so uh, most of the time when it comes to uh, these type of medications, the desire is is to create a little bit more uh, of a, a better communication within the brain, uh, thus uh, lowering the anxiety, lowering the depression. I, I think of uh, somebody like um, probably in the Bible, like a King Saul. Um, his stuff and the things that he was going on in his world, his life, he had this evil spirit. He's kind of unique because that one came from God. Uh, and he's having to deal with this. And so the way he dealt with it was through the music. And so he had coping skills using David to come in as, with the harp and was able to then utilize that to be able to calm down and to uh, ease his mind and ease his thinking. And that's probably the closest I could find in the Bible uh, of of how kind of to manage that. You're using these coping skills. You're utilizing uh, meditation. You may be utilizing uh, uh, boundaries within your life and knowing that certain things, uh, lines can't be crossed or people to be around or uh, places to go, that sort of thing. Uh, the second one is environmental. Let's say something's happened to your spouse. They've been through some sort of a, a situation and thus that's the reason uh, this is going on. Well, to me, uh, there's two, again, main things there. Number one it's a processing. So using therapy, using a counselor, using someone to sit down and have this conversation uh, to process, this is what happened to me. This is what I feel. This is what I think. And there's a lot of modalities in the counseling world that are specifically designed uh, to be able to help with this processing. I think specifically of like EMDR, I movement desensitization, reprogramming. I think of um, uh, prolonged exposure therapy, PE, and on and on the list goes uh, of different modalities that have been specifically designed to manage the depression, anxiety related to events that have taken place in your world. And so that would be one of the first things I would think would be a good option would be to find the therapist, find someone trained in those two particular things to be able to process that and to be able to work through those events, become more accepting of it, um, and and then be able to move forward. The other side uh, and and kind of including to that is this uh, retraining of defense mechanisms. As if it's an event that took place, then our brain is like, please don't make me go through that ever again. Uh, Get me out of here. Please don't do this. And it's a retraining of the defense mechanisms, just like we talked about with anxiety. um, In this particular case, we're trying to retrain Brain and say, you know what? Not all of this stuff was connected to that event. And so it's about fighting through those things, go ahead and, and dealing with some things that you know are safe, but your brain is just saying they're not safe. And so those are some really important ways to do that. I think of Elijah, uh, the prophet. I mean, he was at the top of the mountain literally, and he watches these fire rain down from God. And he, and he sees this, the the, the the sacrifice gone and the water gone and all these things happening. And then he turns around and Jezebel finds out. And Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. Uh, And he is scared to death. and And he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs and he runs. Ultimately, he runs to God and says, God, just kill me now. I'm done. It's over. There's no one else here. I'm it. Just kill me now. And God's answer to that was interesting because the very things that God provided him are the very things that we as counselors even provide to people today with depression. Uh, You'll notice in that particular event when Elijah was standing there, was laying there. He, he had the right appropriate sleep. He had the right kind of food to eat. He exercised, he went all the way down and then he found counsel and he found people to be able to talk to, you know, God did all of those things for him, brings in then Elisha into his life. And there, they become this duo uh, to be able to present God's word. So These are those types of things that you can manage through in the environmental side of it. But getting back to your question, the question is, is how do you support your spouse? How do you find support? How do you uh, be able to work through those things? Well, first of all, I think you help your spouse begin to identify how they truly feel about what's going on. And and helping them get to a point where they want to do something different. You, you know the old phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Well, there's actually another phrase to that that I had heard that I think makes better sense. And that is, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make them drink, but you sure can make them thirsty. And that's the thing here in order to support our spouse to make a change we are trying to help them be thirsty wanting a difference so what you're looking for is what we call in the mental health world called change talk there's change talk and there's sustained talk statements that are made that says you know what it may be time to change it's a change talk sustained talk hey here's some statements that say you know what i'm going to stick where i'm at uh, our role or in responsibility is sometimes helping them to have change talk now here's the Here's the messed up thing, it would seem, in our world. If if I if I go walking in someone's life and I start telling them, here's all the reasons to change, the very thing they're going to do is tell all the reasons why they need to stay. We, we're stubborn and bullheaded. And so if I walk into your life and I say, okay, you need to change this, this, and this. This is how you get better. This is what you need to do. This is what needs to be different. <clears throat> and the very thing that's going to be answered because of our stubborn, bullheaded nature is, Well, ah, here's all the reasons why you're wrong. Well, what have I done? I've encouraged them to say all the things to stay stuck. Instead, my responsibility should help them say the things that help them change. to, To help them talk themselves into doing something different. That's exactly what we're looking at from here. Help them make the statements to alter and change themselves. Great question. I appreciate it. Question number two. We've all heard the phrase, honesty is the best policy. When a person does something for us while we appreciate the thought and effort, how do we answer honestly when asked if we like it without sounding ungrateful or making them feel discouraged or disappointed? For instance, a meal prepared that contains ingredients we don't like or cannot eat, or a gift that will never be used, etc. Also, how do we make amends if we unintentionally cause hurt feelings in this type of situation? This is an anonymous question that is really dealing with our relationship with everybody else. Oh, how do we handle it when other people provide something, maybe out of good heart, good nature and good heart? It's just the wrong item. I always the age-old question, you know, when your wife walks into the room and says, "Does this make me look fat?" Well, what's the answer to that? Do you say yes, yes, it does, or no, it doesn't lie? How do you answer that? Well, that's a great, great question and a great thought to think about. Here's, here's my answer. Context is everything. Con- context is everything. I would never encourage anyone to lie to save somebody's feelings. That, that can get really, really dangerous because here's what's going to happen. Satan will use that in the future. Just wait. If you and I lie about something and we lie, it's just one of those items that Satan in the future is going to use against you. The other aspect is what is this relationship? What 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 is the relationship that you have with this person? You know if it's a passing acquaintance the answer would be thank you. I appreciate the thought. I appreciate you looking out for me. Man, this is this is really nice that someone would think enough of me to do this for me or to give this to me. And, and then maybe if it's like that gift that you aren't going to use or never use, maybe it's about finding someone who would be excited about using it. Maybe it's about passing that along. I, I know like there's this one lady that was at church one time and, and my, my wife told my boys, no matter what she gives you, just say thank you and we'll figure out what to do later because she she would give all sorts of different things newspapers or a book or something and 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 the the boys would man thank you i appreciate this and then we would start looking to find someone who would be able to appreciate her who would be able to utilize that now, if it's a passing acquaintance you want to be able to say thank you appreciate the thought and be able to kind of move forward but what if it's a close relationship what what, what if it's what if it's your spouse what if it's your children what if what if it's someone close to you? I'm going to continue to advocate for truth. Be honest. Tell, tell the truth. Be honest about the relationship. But here's, here's the thing. If the relationship is based on good ground, then it's going to withstand the truth. If, if the relationship is based on good, solid principles and items... Love, care, connection, on on the list goes. Then it will withstand truth, e- even if it's a truth we don't like to hear, even if it's a truth we don't necessarily want to hear. If if it's based upon these pot these these good things and it's got good solid foundation, then then the truth the truth is the answer to give because it, it's going to be okay. Now, if the relationship is not on good ground. If the relationship's not based on care, concern, relationship, connection, wanting to be with one another, it might not be a good relationship to be in. If if you're in a relationship that is so fragile that expressing truth, expressing honesty, expressing true feelings is not accepted, then it maybe a testament to the relationship that has to be considered, that has to be looked at. You know, there's a statement that that I've made many a times, and it's that the heart in the right place covers a multitude of sins. When your heart is about care and love and concern for this person and you misspeak something it, many times it's overlooked because of that care, because of that love, because of that being, because they know it came out of nothing but respect and love. Yeah, it was a misspoken word, but man, that is not where they are in their life and in their relationship. It's, it's funny how our compassion and our love for someone and that relationship together has the ability to cover misspoken words. That that truth that is presented is accepted even though it's not liked and it's done so because they know you care. You know, I think about Galatians chapter 2 and I think about Paul confronting Peter. I can't even imagine what that was like for Paul and I can't imagine what that was like for Peter. But here's, here's my thinking in that. Peter needed to hear a voice he could trust, tell him the truth. And when that voice that he could trust told him the truth, it helped him change his life. It helped him change his teaching. When you and I are asked a question, let us consider the relationship, let us provide truth and honesty to help in building that connection and relationship. When we lie, Satan's going to use it. It's just a matter of time. Great question. Third question today. This is an, again, anonymous question. When you have a lot going on in your life that causes stress and sometimes uncertain what to do and you just cry, is this a sign you're not trusting God or you're being selfish? A relationship with God is important, and it's sometimes in our world when we see the things that are going around, they they don't make sense. We we don't understand it. This this side of eternity, they just they just don't make any sense. And and thus our response, our coping mechanism to that, is is many fold. Here here's kind of the first thought that I thought of when I got this question. You know, if crying is a sign of not trusting God, then here's a list of people that don't trust God. First, King David. Second, Samuel 22 and verse 7. Second, Job. Job 30 and verse 20. Mary Magdalene. Job, or John 20 verse 11. Mary, John eleven thirteen. How about even maybe John 11, 35, 36? Jesus just to name a few are these people that didn't trust God are these people that didn't have faith are these people being selfish we we look at these <laughs> these role models we we look at these people as as the epitome of godliness i mean jesus the perfect example of godliness and jesus cried he cried so hard in the garden of eden the the garden of gethsemane excuse me that that he he just in tears to his did he not trust god of course he did it had nothing to do with trust So often you and I, we want a different path. We want a different way. Jesus wanted a different way. And so he cried to his father, please make it a different way. And he cried, not only cried out, but he cried in tears, weeping. And when he cried out to God, it wasn't out of selfishness. It wasn't because he didn't trust God. You know, when you and I cry, it's a sign of sadness, not a lack of trust. When, when we cry, it is an emotional relationship that says, I hurt, I'm sad, I've got de- things going on in my world. Please, let me get it out. Crying is not a sin. How we manage how we feel that leads to us crying is where we start to find the struggles. Uh, how we manage our feelings the actions we do, the people that we're around, the things that are going on, that is what determines righteousness and unrighteousness. You know, I think about Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. If crying is wrong, if crying is a lack of trust, if crying is a selfishness, then why in the world did Paul, in a chapter about being a Christian, tell them to weep? with those that weep. If it's wrong to sin, if it's a sign of not trusting, if it's a sign of selfishness, then what Paul is saying is, sin with those who sin. And we know that's crazy. Because he said, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Our tears, our crying, is a sign that things matter. It's a sign that things are important in our life. It's a sign that we care about something. And it's that care. It's that hurt. It's that, that you and I have the ability to go to our Father in tears and in crying, God, give me direction. Give me strength. Give me where you want me to be in my life. And you know what? That's where God sits. How often did He respond and react throughout the Old Testament because the people cried out to Him, because the people in tears cried. Friends, here's the reality of the matter. This life has so much stuff and so many things. And you know the very thing presented in the very end of, of Revelation about our eternal abode, what did He say? There's no tears in heaven. That's because there are tears in this life. But He's got a place that has a place without tears. I am so thankful for these questions, thinking about our relationship and thinking about our connections with the people around us. I encourage you. You have questions that you wish you could ask a counselor. Send it to me. Give me those questions. Let me look at it. Let us see what we can do to be able to continue to help our growth, help our steps, on a daily basis, I'm trying to put in some different uh, items in our uh, Facebook accounts or a Facebook group. So if you're not in that group, you want to look up Council from Above podcast and jump in on that. We are almost 200 people woo in it. So come be number 200. Get me over the 200 mark and be a part of that particular group. Be looking for those chats, those things. I'm going to try to send them on a daily basis. I'm also a little late with this one, but I am trying to do twice a month now. So our next podcast is going to be coming last Saturday of the month. And in it, we're going to talk about, I think I might be crazy. And many questions that are related to that. I'm actually going to tackle five questions. Three of them are very similar to one another. So I'm going to kind of loop them together. Uh, But I'm going to try to tackle those five questions and be able to help us to draw closer to understanding our mental health and our relationship with God. Friends, on our journey with God and our journey to Him, we're, we're wanting to live our lives to serve Him, to be His servant. Our intro song, make me a servant, make me like you, to be God's servant. It's about you and I listening to Him. It's about you and I taking in what He wants us to know, what He wants us to hear. Because for you and I, it's about us opening our hearts. It's about opening our ears to the counsel from above.